Um, to be a Negro, to be a Negro in this country, and to be um, relatively conscious, is to be in a state of rage. Almost, almost all of the time. You wonder why I spit the truth and not to make no dope. To make a difference. Welcome to another episode of Making a Difference. I'm your host, Ken Macon, here with a dear friend of mine, and I'm just so excited uh, to be able to talk about uh, some of the services that she provides uh, with her LLC, and also uh, just some of, really really just uh, going to give you guys a kind of a continuation of a conversation that we had very recently, and uh, it was actually a podcast that was uh, very popular, so I have to shout out, you know, um, our friends not only in the Augusta area, but also in the Albany, Georgia area. And I just want to, um, look, reintroduce to the show Miss Janice Allen-Jackson. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great. How are you doing this morning? Doing wonderful. I want to take a chance, as I said, to just build on the previous conversation that we had, specifically from the perspective of um, something that we talked about very briefly last time, which is um, your business, which is um, Janice uh, Allen-Jackson and Associates, LLC. And uh, so we're going to touch on some of that today. And, you know, so many times we talk about business and, you know, we talk about branding and different things like that. But as I find, and just is, even with my experience with making a difference, a lot of um, what your business is or what your brand is really is a reflection of who you are as a person. And so as I'm saying that, I want to ask, you know, who is Janice Allen Jackson? Uh, you know, that's an excellent question. It's interesting um, how people sometimes develop perceptions of somebody just based upon what their job title is. Um, They really don't have a clue of of who that person is and what they stand for. Uh, So I appreciate you asking me that question so I can describe a little bit about who I am. Um, I uh, have a website for my business, JaniceAllenJackson.Weebly.com. Uh, I left the Weebly in there because it's no cost to set up that website if we was in there. So that's the first clue of who I am. I'm pretty frugal. (laughs) Second thing I want to point out is I'm a very spiritual individual. Um, One of the things that I thought about, should I include this on the website or should I not include it on the website? Uh, On the bio section, uh, one of the pictures is of Colossians 3.23. It says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Um, That uh, I decided to include because A, I don't run away from my spirituality, my Christian beliefs, um, and I believe it's important uh, that people understand when you're working for me, working with me, for me, around me, uh, yes, I'm working with you as another person, but whatever I do, I want it to serve some purpose for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So um, I've always given whatever effort, um, whatever involvement, a- activity it was, be it a job, a volunteer activity, a Sunday school class, I always try to give it 100% um, because uh, my mother always told me the Lord uh, requires your best. Uh, so I try to give everything my best. So you get 100% of whatever it is I have to offer for whatever endeavor it is that I get involved in. 
I am, as many people know, a native of the Augusta area. Um, I went to graduate from high school, Richmond Academy, 1981. ARC. Yes, ARC. <laughs> I'm a musketeer. And uh, musketeer land was a little bit different back then oh, than it is right now. Right. Um, but yes, I, I, will, I am a proud musketeer. Uh, that was a good experience for me, uh, having come up in Augusta, you know, through elementary school, I was in an environment that was, you know, a neighborhood school, so it was 100% African American. And then I got to Richmond Academy, and I remember teachers all the way through elementary and junior high school, they would tell us, well, you know, you've got to get prepared to get over there at Richmond Academy because you have to start competing with those white students. Mm-hmm. So um, that was always in the back of my mind. I felt like in elementary school and junior high, I was probably told that about every other day mm-hmm. uh, that I had to be prepared for that. And I, I went there. It was a good experience. Like I said, a very diverse experience. I enjoyed meeting all the kids who were from uh, military families. They were in the Augusta area just for a short time. Uh, I met people from other parts of the city that I probably didn't know existed at that time. So that was a really good experience for me to be in a diverse environment. Probably at that point, Richmond Academy was about 50-50 in terms of racial makeup. And then I went off to the College of William and Mary that okay. was only about 3% black at the That's time. That's Virginia? In Virginia. I was in Williamsburg, Virginia. Uh, beautiful little place there. Uh, nice uh, campus. Uh, just screened off with big brick fences Uh, so uh, when you were on that campus you knew you in fact were on the campus but um, I was attracted to it because of its excellent academic reputation Uh, they had just hired a Dean of Minority Affairs and I was in the first class that she recruited to the college so um, so yeah that was an excellent experience for me even though the african-american population was so small Um, there are a couple things that were uh, remarkable about that experience. One was that, of course, all schools, I don't know if they even still do it, but all of the schools with small minority populations back then had a black student organization. Um, BSO. I was a a member of the BSO, uh, and uh, we had several programs to just kind of help students get more familiar with the campus. We had a big brother, big sister program. So I I was the type of person who would volunteer every year to be a big brother, big, big, big sister to either a little brother or a little sister. Um, Just to help the culture uh, shock, Af- yeah, I can really yeah, just help African American <laughs> students make that transition, know that they were not alone uh, on campus. Uh, and one of the things I will say is that we developed a good support system for ourselves because we were so small. I want to ask you about that mm-hmm. because, and, and we have some listeners. I know of a gentleman actually who's a regular listener of the show, mm-hmm. and he's kind of going through that now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with his, uh, with his son, mm-hmm. and uh, just the decision, you know, to go to. In HBCU and and what happens from a lot of times is it may go one way or the other where mm-hmm. you may have your child that you know pretty much went to school you know with all black kids or you know with maybe 80 90 percent and then they may go to a school that may go to a PWI mm-hmm. and there's you know that that culture shock just as something that you've mm-hmm. personally experienced um, kind of provide some insight on, on how you're able to deal with those things not only from the position of being a student but maybe eventually, or and eventually, and hopefully, maybe this individual will have a chance to maybe be a mentor in that role. Kind of give us some insight on that. Yeah, um, one of the things I advise any student going into an environment that may look a lot different from where you come from is don't lose yourself in yeah. it. Uh, there would be some students who, unfortunately, would come there and feel like they had to turn into something else. You know, now it's hilarious. I look back on it, but I would hear uh, African American students from time to time say, "I think I'm going to hang white this week," and, <laughs> 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 and it's like, 
Well, you can't run away from who you are, dear. Right. And it's okay to be who you are. Uh, and sometimes, you know, I remember having a couple class discussions. Of course, I was in the government department around majoring in public policy, but I take all the government, economic, sociology, history uh, courses related to urban policy. And um, I remember a couple heated debates with students who were on the conservative political spectrum. Um, but when those things happened, I didn't shy away from letting folks know, hey, everybody didn't grow up the way you did. Right. Um, you've got a different set of factors to consider if you grew up on a farm in rural Georgia and you don't have access to education and some of the other things that some of those folks had access to. So. Um, it may seem tougher at the time, but I think it's much better in terms of your long-term peace of mind if you stay true to yourself. Uh, I always encourage students to, to um, connect with folks who do look like them. There's nothing wrong with that. That's why we had a black student organization. Uh, we would have some students who would come in and decide that they didn't want to be connected, or some students' parents, which I thought was really tragic, would decide that they didn't need to be connected or associated with anything related to the Office of Minority Affairs or the Black Student Organization. And my role was just the opposite. My, my perspective was just the opposite. Let me connect with it. Let it strengthen me. Uh, and because of my close association with my peers on campus, I've developed lifelong friendships with many of them. We're still, you know, best friends today, That's and now wonderful. it's, you know, 35, 40 years later. Wow. So, um, I, I, overall, I had a good experience, but it was a challenge. Um, I think back on um, how one year the Black Student Organization gave superlatives, and I was voted the friendliest on campus. But it wasn't so much. I think I wanted to be just friendly for no reason. It was because I wanted everybody to feel included. I wanted us to really have a true sense of community. So I felt like it was my role to do my part to make sure that happened. That's very cool. There's a, mm -hmm. and, there, and like I said, and, and as often as I've talked with you and we've had interactions, mm -hmm. there's a there's a friendliness and a kindness and I mean, and the classiness about you that is amazing. But there's also, and this is what I love, is there's a tenacity mm -hmm. um, about you as well. And I think that, you know, it really ties in um, to your career choice and you got into public policy and of course that evolved into you eventually becoming um, a city administrator. So just kind of take us um, into what a city administrator does because we've explained on this show, you know, city administrator, you know, delves and deals with the day-to-day uh, -day, uh, decisions that are made for a city or municipality. Mm -hmm. What does that mean exactly and what does that look like? Yeah, for a city manager or a city administrator, uh, people look at it sometimes, uh, well, you're in politics. We well, yeah, are, it's, it's related, related to politics, certainly, um, but the role of a city manager or administrator is to be nonpartisan, to be objective, uh, to not connect themselves with any political party or um, individual or political cause. Uh, in fact, we have an International City Managers Association Code of Ethics. If you're a member of the organization, uh -huh. that code of ethics prevents us from making political contributions to any candidate. Um, the reason being, we've got to work with whoever is elected in office. Um, let's say if, and there were been some candidates that I thought were fabulous, and I wish I could have given them a few dollars, um, but the code of ethics uh, prevented me from doing that um, because, let's say, you know, I support candidate X for governor and candidate Y wins, candidate uh, the person who won, the successful in winning that race, could then come back and say, well, I know those folks were not for me in Augusta, so I'm not going to give Augusta anything right. in terms of uh, 
any uh, extra resources development, whatever could happen. So you never want to place yourself in a position where your organization could lose because of some action you took. Sure. And that's one of the main reasons our code of ethics exists. Um, also, uh, interestingly, it says explicitly, it is our job to do the best for our community, period. Uh, it's our job to be, as I said, objective in terms of presenting recommendations uh, to the uh, elected officials, working with the community, other stake stakeholders, business community, residents of the community. It's, it's, it's the job of a professional manager or administrator to make sure that you're listening to the concerns of that community and developing policy recommendations, developing budget, um, whatever it is that it requires to, to do the best for the community that you serve. Sometimes, as you've noticed, that is a tough, tough job. You're going to take some positions <laughs> that are not going to be very popular to some folks sure. because they may have a specific agenda, whereas as a professional administrator, you're not supposed to have any specific agenda. Your only agenda is to do the best for the organization, for the residents that you serve. I want to stop you right there because, you know, I, I really, like I said, I want this to be a show where it's, it's not only politically aware, but... People can come to this show and say, "Okay, well, I have I have an understanding of how things happen politically, um, you know, from just kind of a, from a nuts and bolts perspective." Talk about some of the things that can happen when there are ideological clashes between a city administrator who is supposed to be nonpartisan and you know a, a body or a group, um, you know, of city officials that, as you said, may have an agenda. What does that look like? Because that can look like a situation where when you you know, combined, not to say, um, obviously, you know, the media is, is necessary, but when you combine that clash with, you know, maybe an ouster or maybe something can happen like that where, you know, where there's a, there's a separation, just kind of kind of take us through that and, and, and what that can look like, just from the genesis of an ideological, just kind of a, a breakup or a difference. Yeah. Uh, again, what we were expected to do as managers and administrators, you, what you're expected to do is to examine the data, do the research, which takes up a lot of time, sometimes meet with the right people, uh, come up with the right, what you believe is the right solution. Normally, uh, try to come up with at least a couple of different options for them to consider, because there's normally more than one way to skin the proverbial cat. You know, you come up with a couple of different options. You can present the pros and cons of those options to your elected body. Um, once they get the data, uh, you hope that they arrive at a logical decision based upon the data that's been presented. Um, sometimes we know things go sideways because there are going to be some outside influences. Uh, but uh, they look at that information. It may be that among themselves they get into a pretty significant uh, disagreement and folks take sides and you know how things can kind of deteriorate from there if there's inflexibility. But that professional's job is pretty much to stay out of it. Once you've presented the data, mm -hmm. uh, you've given them sound reasoning for the options that have been laid out, and you provide your recommendation, uh, stay out of it. Um, sometimes uh, professionals or those who are supposed to be professionals exhibit some unprofessional behavior by you know, lobbying too hard or taking sides there with one or another. It's not about taking sides so much as it is about the facts at hand. So. That requires a great deal of strength and resistance to manipulation. Yes. <laughs> in, in order well to put. do that. <laughs> in order to do that, but but ultimately that's what we're called upon to do. In terms of how we arrive at those recommendations, 
um, a lot of meetings, like I said, with uh, stakeholders, with the department directors. Uh, you, you want to be able to grasp and communicate what the impact is on everybody surrounding that, that decision. Well, how does this affect the staff in that particular department? How does this affect the community? How does it affect you know, other elected officials surrounding counties? You, know, you try to factor in all of those things uh, to come up with, with good, solid recommendations. But yeah, it's, it is a, some folks refer to the legal world as a thicket. <laughs> this is definitely a thicket when you're doing that. But, you know, ultimately it's the professional's job to, to brainstorm and, and come up with the best ideas and, and stay neutral with those. Sure. And um, a part of the importance of that neutrality certainly comes from the fact that this is a very powerful position mm-hmm. that, that you're in. Um, when you're, as you in, in some cases, you are a liaison mm-hmm. when there are, you know, um, you know, differences just within like a, a council or, you know, a commission or different things like that. Um, one of the things I want to ask you is because, again, you know, people may hear this podcast and say, or they may have, there may be some, you know, young adult listening, someone who's majoring, you know, in, in public speaking or, you know, is majoring in political mm-hmm. science that says, you know, I want to be a city administrator. What does that look like, the road from, you know, internship, graduation, um, Applying and certainly the opportunity mm-hmm. has has to come about. Kind of, kind of take us through that. What that looks like. Yeah, excellent question. Um, because uh, there definitely is a need to have more bright young people who are interested in the local government profession. Um, I, in fact, over the last few months, I've mentored a young man who's uh, in his master's program, completing his master's program at the University. <laughs> yes, so uh, that was an excellent experience for me to sort of share my. Uh, thoughts with him over the last several months. We had about four mentoring meetings and um, I'm wishing him the very best because he's really serious about building a career in local government management. Um, What I did, which is not unusual, um, I tell everybody you need to be prepared to be mobile. Uh, If you think about it, I graduated from college in Virginia. Um, I knew I wanted to do something government related at that time but wasn't sure what I wanted to do. So I was in Richmond, Virginia. I was working for a nonprofit organization that was involved in downtown development-related projects. So we interacted with the city, and it's which is a beautiful part downtown, of the city, by the way. And beautiful downtown in Richmond. And um, we interacted with the city some, um, but you know, part of our role was to get information out to businesses who were thinking about locating in downtown Richmond. Hey, you know boring stuff like these are the traffic counts and this is the number of <laughs> hotel rooms but also you know when they get all that data it can they can turn it into something really exciting so that was what I liked about that particular job um, but as I was doing that the city of Richmond was searching for a city manager their long-term manager was stepping down uh, they were in a process of, of trying to figure out where they would go from there and I got really absorbed into that process. I would check the newspaper every day to figure out how the search was going and what they were looking for. And I was sitting there in my one bedroom apartment one day and I said to myself, I could do that. So that was my where I set my goal to become a local government manager and luckily it worked out from there. Um, I went back to graduate school, got my master's degree from Duke University, okay. uh, master's degree from uh, in, the, in public policy. Um, then it was part of the graduate school. Now they have the Terry Sanford Institute of Public Policy, but I predated those days. Got my master's there. First job was a internship, was a full-time internship. 
full-time paid internship with uh, Prince George's County, Maryland. Blessing. So, paid. paid. <laughs> yes, yeah, full-time <laughs> paid. And it, it was designed for people just like me who wanted to rotate through various departments so we could learn a lot more about the government from various things. So I worked in the health department. I worked in the budget office. Oh I worked in the county exec's office. Amazing experience. Yeah, so it was an excellent experience. And I was fortunate enough to get hired permanently uh, as a result of that experience, and I was assistant to one of the deputy chief administrative officers, and I like to say my job was whatever it took to help her get her job done. Right, at P- that PG time. County. Yeah, in Prince George. They hate PG. Don't say. Don't PG. say that. I apologize. Do not say PG County. <laughs> it's Prince George's County. So, <laughs> in fact, now the, uh, the county executive is a Sawroff mine. Okay. So, so yeah, they're they're making progress, but. Um, I was uh, there for a few years, um, worked in a permanent position after, like I said, after the internship was done. And then from there, I felt prepared to move from the big pond, because Prince George is a large county. So I was a small fish in a big pond. So my next goal was to become a big fish in a small pond. So (laughs) I went to Albany, Georgia as their assistant city manager. Tell everybody I cut my teeth in local government in Albany, Georgia. I was... uh, Assistant city manager for three months, three years, and then city manager for nine. So from there, and then I went to a bigger pond. I went to uh, Mecklenburg County, North Carolina, where Charlotte's okay. located. Really? I was an assistant county manager there. Okay. Did private consulting. And I, did, I didn't while. know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I worked in Mecklenburg County okay. for four and a half years. Um, did some um, private consulting after that opportunity, and then got back into local government and um, here at Augusta. So... Mobility is key. You try to get the next logical stepping stone to move yourself up. Um, and um, it's, it's a very rewarding career. What I like most about it is that you get a chance to do something different almost every hour in local government. I mean, one minute you might be talking about a public safety issue. Next minute you're talking about a housing and community development issue. The next minute a recreation issue. The next some personnel matters. So it gives broad exposure to uh, various things um, that really, really, I think, have developed me into a well-rounded professional. I was going to say, and you handle it, and you talk about it with such grace, but it I can imagine it's intense and it's very competitive. Mm-hmm. It is intense and it's very competitive, <laughs> yes, yes. Um, uh, even for the top jobs, uh, the... Um, They'll probably get you know 50, 70 applicants. A lot of times, it just matters you know matters who gets the job is based on who they think is the best fit for that particular community. Um, but yeah, there's a there's a lot to be done, a lot of stress, sometimes a lot of long days. Mm-hmm. You know, people say, well, you know, self-employed, you got to be prepared to work 12 hours a day. I said, well, I was doing close to that anyway, so <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter because I, I remember very vividly there were a lot of days I would work the day, come home, you know, make sure my kids were fed, grab something to eat, and I'd come back to the office for another couple of hours just to make sure I was on top of everything for the next day. Uh, so it is a very demanding uh, type of job, but also very rewarding because uh, people in the community, uh, if they really see it, they appreciate what it takes to get the job done. So that's why I recommend the profession to young people, despite the headaches. I, I recommend the profession <laughs> to young people um, because uh, it's really some place where you can make a difference with your God-given talents. We will return to making a difference after these messages. What's going on, everybody? It's Knife Wonder right here, man. And you're checking out Making a Difference with my man Ken Macon. Keep it locked. Peace. 
This is Donald Doe and Michael Doe with Family Financial Consultants. Do you need help with Medicare, with affordable mortgage and life insurance, building an estate for your child? We provide these types of services for you and much more. As independent insurance brokers, we take pride in coming into people's homes and not only saving them money, but changing their lives. Imagine only paying a few dollars for your medicine instead of hundreds, or cutting the cost of your insurance premiums. Our goal is to provide affordable policies tailored to your individual needs. Give us a call at 803-293-8915 or 706-503-3933. Family Financial Consultants, LLC, located at 412 Edgefield Road in North Augusta, South Carolina. Agents work for companies, but a broker works for you. Adversity, challenges, and mediocrity are a part of any business or organization. What separates a good business or organization from a great one is how staff and members work together to reach common goals and to keep their eyes on the prize. I'm Janice Allen Jackson with Janice Allen Jackson Associates, LLC, and there is a better way for you to reach your goals. Our mission is to enhance the effectiveness of organizations by equipping leaders to better serve their customers, employees, and the larger community. While many consultants provide the same solutions to each client, we tailor our approach to you. We provide leadership-based speaking services, strategic planning, problem solving, and other organizational development services to government, business, religious, and nonprofit organizations. In business, it's important to have a leg up on the competition. With any organization, being on one accord and identifying why you aren't achieving what you want is crucial. We specialize in excellence, so we work hard to understand your needs and work with your organization to achieve and meet those needs. Call or text me today at 704-707-5114, or you can email us at JaniceAllenJackson at gmail.com. We're here to help your organization find a better way. Follow Janice Allen Jackson and Associates on Twitter at this handle, J-A-J and Associate LLC. That's spelled J-A-J-A-N-D-A-S-S-O-C-L-L-C. It's been a, a really good conversation. And there's a, a term that I, I often use on the podcast and a term that it's kind of a buzzword in politics now, and that term is transparency. But... Um, you have a phrase, and it's it's more specific because I think transparency, ironically enough, can be a vague term. But um, there's a phrase that you're using very specifically, and it's something that you like to talk to, um, you know, when it comes to issues uh, involving political awareness, and that is civic health. Kind of take us through what yes. that means. Yes, these days, uh, local government has all sorts of buzzwords. We come up with buzzwords for everything, but the official definition of civic health is uh, the way that communities are organized to define and address public problems. Um, I like to think of it in practical terms is uh, a gauge of the relationship between the government and its residents, its constituents. So uh, how do we build that relationship uh, is one of my favorite things to talk about. Uh, one of my pet peeves is that uh, particularly during uh, these times, we tell everybody, you got to go vote, you got to go vote. What we don't tell them is how you decide who you're going to vote for. How do you research candidates? Um, what kinds of questions should you be asking of the people who say they want to serve you? Uh, we also uh, don't, as a society, I think, put enough emphasis on uh, developing an interest and an aptitude for running among the right folks. Um, mm -hmm. I hear way too often 
It's like, well, yeah, you know, I thought about running, but I'm not because of X or I'm not because of Y. Uh, I think somehow our society generally is going to have to develop a better way uh, to identify good candidates who really can serve the public interest. So all that goes towards civic health. Health, um, you mentioned transparency. That relationship is based upon trust, and there are too many uh, communities where there's just minimal trust between the government and the public, and uh, it is not a good way uh, to build a good country that serves the interests of the folks who need them the most. I was going to say, uh, a conversation about civic health can go so many different places, and I'm just thinking about, you know, you know, we're looking at presidential primaries and different things like that, and, you know, as, as you alluded to, and not to belabor the point, but... Um, just the way that, that we vet these candidates and even the process in and of itself, you know, the amount of money that it takes to for you to become a candidate, I mean, are, are certainly things that, that we should scrutinize and I, that, you know, certainly can be done a better way. Um, and that may be something that you want to allude to, kind of maybe touch on that. Uh, yes, that's one of the topics I'd love to speak about, actually. Um, so if there are organizations that are interested, I know several uh, organizations have social action type committees and things like that. Um, I'd love to just address topics related to civic health, voting, just digging down to what it is that's going to cause us to be able to be equipped to make some meaningful change as opposed to, you know, you elect folks, we elect folks, we elect folks, but it seems like we're never happy because there are a lot of missing components there. <laughs> so I like to fill in the blanks with those components. Uh, like you, Ken, I have a bunch of book ideas in my head. Probably <laughs> one of them is, you know, how do we improve civic health and how do we address this whole issue of making democracy work for us? Mm, that's powerful. And in, in speaking, uh, because we have people listening from all over the country, and you're certainly a person who... Georgia's your home. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you've had the good fortune of being a city administrator, both in Albany and in Augusta, but you will travel, I mm -hmm. understand. Yes, um, we'll travel. Uh, one of the organizations I referenced earlier, the International City County Managers Association, uh, we have regional and national conferences. Uh, hope things work out so that I'm a presenter at one of those conferences. But if there are uh, church organizations and civic organizations and other places, business associations, uh, certainly get in contact with me. Again, 704-707-5114. Um, we can talk about what it takes for me to come into uh, your city or your state to uh, address your group or facilitate a workshop. That's awesome. We'll be back in a bit to close out this episode of Making a Difference. My name is Lauren Macon, and you are listening to Making a Difference with my handsome husband, Ken Macon. Do you need insurance for your car, home, life, or business? Then trust Jay Harvey, your Allstate insurance agent in Evans, Georgia. He opened his agency in 2017 because he loves helping and working with people. As a husband and father, he understands the importance of helping families prepare for the unexpected. You can get a personalized insurance quote today by calling 706-434-8106. Jay's office is located at 3118-8 William Few Parkway in Evans, Georgia. Remember, you're in good hands with Jay Harvey, your neighborhood Allstate insurance agent. Talk about that, uh, the component of motherhood, because you, mm -hmm. you know, you kind of alluded to it and, you know, mm -hmm. we've talked a lot and obviously, you know, your kids, they're, mm -hmm. you know, doing amazing things, they're mm -hmm. successful. Mm -hmm. Just talk about, you know, being a, a working woman, if you will, but also, mm -hmm. you know, being, being a mother and just the, the challenges of that when you are, as you said, sometimes you are t you're bringing your work home. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, I mean, wow. 
A lot of times you are. I remember when I was pregnant with my first child. I was already city manager in Auburn and was pregnant with the first child. And um, I remember calling the library director because this was like, I guess, close to pre-internet days back then. <laughs> and I said, are there any books or articles or anything over there about executive moms? What am I supposed to do? <laughs> <laughs> executive moms. <laughs> And that's awesome. And, and I, he found a really good article for me, exactly, <laughs> that, that walked me through the process of, you know, some woman who was CEO of a company, and she was actually in a tougher situation than I was because she found herself on bed rest during much of the pregnancy. Wow. And she's like, well, how do I run this organization from my bed? Because you don't get a break. But uh, one of the things we did work on, I had a good assistant city manager at the time. So he was in place in the office. There were certain documents that I still, you know, wanted to sign, even though I was technically on leave. Mm -hmm. You know, I need to keep my eye on what was happening sure. downtown. So um, they would send a courier out a couple of days a week to bring documents for me to sign. Because, again, this is pre, you know, right. before internet was widespread and everything. So, you know, they would either fax me stuff or um, I would um, they'd bring the documents out, I'd sign them, and then somebody would come back a couple of days later and pick them up, you know. So, um, and I chatted with the office a couple of days a week. So I was, you know, literally running around changing diapers and talking about city business. That's, so, that's so cool time. to me, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> it's just... It's a it's a whatever it takes type of type of mentality. It is whatever and whatever it takes. That's awesome, and that's that's something that obviously serves you well, you know, with Janice Allen Jackson um, and Associates. So I do, I do want to transition into talking about you know some of what you're doing now. You know, when you talk about um, speaking services, mm -hmm. consulting, different things like that. And I, I would just say for you guys uh, listening to this conversation, certainly uh, we want you guys to to check in with um, with Mrs. Jackson. I mean, if if nothing, I mean, you guys, I mean, she's already. Um, to me, I mean, if I was somebody listening to the show, I would certainly be like, you know, hey, if I, you know, if it, you know, if it's an issue of maybe your church organization, you know, whatever it is that you're doing, um, if you're, the term I always use is trying to be on one accord because that is something that is certainly a challenge with any organization, with any group, is making sure that, you know, that uh, you eliminate the contention, you eliminate the confusion, mm -hmm. and you're able to come in on one accord to get whatever it is accomplished that, that you set out with doing. But with that, I want to let you speak about your business and what it is that you offer and, and, and um, and those services. Yeah. Uh, for your audience, I want to really focus on uh, speaking, uh, public speaking, as you mentioned, and strategic planning. Um, I am working with a group now, it's a nonprofit group in our community, doing some strategic planning for them. Uh, and that has been the most fun exercise for me. Uh, one of the things that uh, I did in my former life was I sat through, you know, a ton of strategic planning sessions, either with the local governments I was working for or with other boards that I sat on. And um, you sit there and you try to come up with a way uh, to point yourself in the right direction, basically. And there's always a challenge that there's so much out there that could be done. How do you narrow it down? to the best thing for your organization to tackle at that particular time. Uh, so I'm working with this particular organization. They had some, some bright ideas about, hey, we want to uh, strengthen ourselves. We want to heighten our profile. Uh, we want everybody to know who we are and what we do. So uh, we've gone through about a three-session process to come up with uh, some recommendations that we'll make to their executive board um, in the very near future. 
And it required me to just sort of immerse myself in the organization for a while, you know, talk to their leadership in advance, get a feel for what they were looking for, um, and then do some research on the organization, keep that at the forefront as we talked about what our uh, plan would be, you know, kind of dug into the past, you know, what worked, what didn't work, why didn't we like that, uh, to, to, to bridge us into the future. Um, so I really enjoyed doing that type of strategic planning work. You know, some people might think, well, you know, cost us too much, or do we really need to do that? And I tell everybody, one of the best things about strategic planning is that it minimizes confusion. If you can get yourself, as you said, on one accord, say, hey, we decided we we're going to focus on projects A, B, and C today. We're going to have to leave D, E, and F alone for this year uh, till we really make some substantial progress with the, the first couple of goals that we have here. So it's a way to get folks on the same page, minimize confusion. Uh, keep organizations focused on the reason that they exist because it's really easy to drift off into a whole bunch of other things and they might be nice but that's not the fundamental purpose um, that your organization was established to accomplish and also um, it's a way to make the best use of the resources in your organization I know a lot of uh, nonprofits in particular they've got folks with great skill sets but for whatever reason they don't capitalize on the skill sets that the people in the organization have uh, I have found that particularly true with uh, fraternal and sorority type organizations, also true with church organizations, true, for a lot, instance. A lot of talent. Um, there's a lot of talent sitting there, and we won't turn them loose to use it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a way to get the most out of your folks. You sit there and say, well, what do we want to focus on? And uh, who do we have among our group that can help get it done? Chances are there's somebody there that can really help get you to where you need to be, but you, um, for whatever reason, haven't tapped into that potential. So I want to interject something, too, in this uh, experience. And my wife and I, we laugh and laugh and laugh at this stuff. And it is less sophisticated than what you're alluding to, but it's still applicable. We go to the you know, grocery store, you buy things like paper towels. And you say, well, and, and you know, you're cost-cutting and budgeting. And what you'll do is, is that you say, well, I'm going to buy this paper towel. I'm going to buy Paper Towel X because it's cheaper, and I mean, it's just paper towel. And then you have a, there's a situation where you have a spill. And so you go with the paper towel, and it's like, well, man, I should have, maybe should have, you know, uh, bought the, it's not the, the fact that it's more expensive. It's the um, efficiency mm-hmm. when you have, uh, you know, not so much that there's an emergency, but it's just the fact that you need to get the job done. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what, you know, uh, in a situation where you say, well, and you ask the question of, you know, do I, uh, do we need to pay for this or, um, you know, is, is it cost effective? Your exper- expertise alone, I would say, would say certainly, yes, I want somebody to come in here and, you know, um, speak to someone who has, you know, so much of a, a vast experience, um, not just with public speaking, but just, you know, with, when you talk about, um, you know, city services and just the day-to-day operations of that. I mean, that's such an awesome responsibility. And when you're able to um, kind of put that in a capsule and then share that with a group, I mean, that's, it's in, in almost invaluable to have that that opportunity. So, I, I mean, I look, you, you can come speak to my group. If I had a group, you can come okay. speak to us, whatever. Okay, yeah, sure, <laughs> sure. I, I do enjoy sharing my expertise, as I said earlier, the very outset of our conversation doing your best with everything and doing it as if it's for the Lord. Um, I uh, really like to share what I've learned. God's given me a lot of gifts, uh, an awful lot, 
I'm so appreciative of that, and I'd like for other folks to be able to take advantage of some, some things that I've learned. So uh, I enjoy speaking. I was, in fact, on my website, I mentioned earlier, I do have a video of one presentation I did okay. uh, to give you an example of sort of how I approach that. Um, I, I start thinking back as we we're preparing for this of some of the most fun speaking engagements I've done. Uh, a few years ago, I was with a group called Women in Construction. Uh, they had their state meeting. Uh, in the city where I was living and uh, they asked me to be the keynote speaker for it and I came in just to sort of tell them you know women in construction that seems like such a unique thing you know there aren't very many women in that um, but again the key to success is staying true to yourself you know as I talked about experience at William & Mary I tell everybody be who you are same things with uh, women in leadership roles be it construction government banking wherever it is um, we offer something, no offense, but we offer something that men probably no, no, don't, and we fine. shouldn't run away from that. Sure. You know, a lot of times you'll see women come into an environment and they want to turn themselves, they want to act just like the men. <laughs> I was like, no, you've defeated the purpose of the diversity if you try to do that. Absolutely. So um, I love just approaching unique topics like that and, and giving my spin on it based upon my experience. And this, I mean, this is kind of taking a left field. I always think about uh, Steve Harvey's book. He says, you know, act like a lady, think like a man. Mm -hmm. I'm like, no, no, no. That, <laughs> look, oh, look. <laughs> but as, as you're saying, there's, there's power in the diversity, the, the thinking, the analysis of women. Just, uh, you know, um, even in, you say, well, construction, that's a man's world. And, but no, um, those thoughts and those ideas, you know, can be used to better the community, to, um, you know, to better that, um, that particular field, and I can only imagine uh, the conversation that you guys had with with women in construction. I'm sure that was very mm -hmm. powerful mm -hmm. and um, just something that you know help everybody involved. I'm sure you get a, you get you get a lot because that's not you so much talking to a group. That's a dialogue. Yeah, it really is, and I like to do it as a dialogue. You know, a lot of times uh, with a group, depending on the environment, uh, if it's uh, appropriate for that setting, I may talk for the first you know 15 minutes or so, and then I just like to take questions. To say, hey, what's on your mind? And I find that sort of interaction makes it a lot more valuable for the folks who are there. So um, meetings, uh, business associations, conferences, uh, women's groups, uh, church groups, any of those things would be fair game for me to come talk to. Sounds good. The website is Janice Allen Jackson. Dot Weebly dot com. There's also a phone number that people can call uh, yes. or send a text. Yes, 704-707-5114. Uh, and give it to them again? 704-707-5114. So. And that is Janice Allen Jackson and Associates LLC. Yes. Thank you as always for coming on and making a different show. All right. Thank you for having me. I love being here. The revolution will not be televised. You see... A lot of times people see, 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 see battles and skirmishes on TV and they say, aha, the revolution is being televised. Nah, the results of the revolution are being televised. The first revolution is when you change your mind about how you look at things and see that there might be another way to look at it that you have not been shown. What you see later on is the results of that, but the revolution, that change that takes place will not be televised.